This week on the Boag World Show, we chat with Christina Halverson about what it means to really offer content strategy. The transcription for this week's show has been kindly paid for by the team at Template Monster, and we have found a sponsor for Marcus's joke. A big thanks to the guys at Perch. Boagworld.com, the podcast for all those involved in designing, developing, and running websites on a daily basis. My name's Paul, and joining me is Marcus. Hello, Paul. How are you? I am super lovely and wonderful. <laughs> That's good to hear. Do you know why it? I'm super wonderful and lovely? Uh, what, go on, tell me. Because I'm finally escaping your evil clutches. <laughs> yeah, I guess most people will have read this whenever it was, because I don't know what day it is supposed uh, to be. Yeah, but. don't worry about it. I don't <laughs> think they will have read it. You see, I think you overestimate how much people pay attention to us. I yeah. think it's fairly low. So should we let them know the good news? What, what that um, we're, we're sort of finally getting rid of the dead wood? You're finally yeah. firing me. <laughs> How, do you want to explain it or should I? Now, bear you, in mind, you, if I explain it, it will be explained from my unique perspective. You start off and I'll, I'll just set you right. You'll tell so me where I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah. So I'm stepping down um, as a full-time employee of Headscape and I'm striking out on my own, doing lots of exciting things that I don't know quite what they are yet. I'm actually crapping myself now. I've suddenly realised what an easy life I've had at Headscape. Um, and that now I need to do some proper work. Um, but Marcus and Chris are continuing on, which we are, I find deeply hurtful, probably because you <laughs> won't notice the difference of me being gone. Oh, I think we will. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to struggle hard to say nice things about you, Paul. But um, um, no, we, we will. But I mean, I think to be fair, you've been doing the kind of thing that you want to do more of for quite a few years now anyway yeah um, I have. you've you've done less and less kind of project work so going along this this route of you know doing more kind of writing and that kind of stuff i mean you, you've written how many books over the last few years and it seems to be the thing that you like doing and you're good at so it's it wasn't a huge um uh, surprise, a bit of a surprise, but it wasn't a huge surprise that you wanted to kind of just see how you, see how you'd get on just doing it on your own. Uh, but of course, we're going to miss you, Paul. Well, I mean, I don't think you're going to miss me that much, mainly because I don't think things are going to change as much as we think they are. It's, it's see, when you sort of say something like this, it sounds so big, doesn't it? And it is true, you know. But I'm still remaining a director of Headscape. Yep. Um, or a non-executive director. I don't even know what that means. I ought to probably find that out at some point. Uh, it, me- it means I still own you. You still own me. Ah, <laughs> is that what I've agreed to? Um, not, not really, no. I still have a small shareholding in the company, which means that I can tell you you're doing it wrong. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I, again, not wanting to say too many nice things about you, Paul, but... Um, uh, 
you, you've had a huge part in in Headscape. You've been the kind of figurehead of the company for a very, very long time now. So continuing to have that voice um, uh, as part of us going forward is really important to, to Chris mm-hmm. and I and to all the rest of the guys. So, yes, that's why we wanted you to stay on as a non-executive director. And most importantly, the thing that people care most about is it isn't going to make any difference to this podcast whatsoever. No, definitely. Well, I mean, I, one, one of the things that obviously is um, a concern to me um, going forward is that everyone's going to forget about Headscape. No, um, <laughs> they wouldn't. So, they love Headscape. They love but, you, Marcus. Uh, of course they do. That's, yeah, that's why you kept me on, because people love me and they don't love you. Well, because I, yeah, I knew that if I threw you off the podcast, that <laughs> essentially there would be uproar. Yeah, exactly. And it would go back to like the first... One yeah, just episodes. me sitting there going, hello, my name is Paul, like that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's it's kind of down to me and some of the other guys, Lee, who's obviously been on the podcast uh, many times previously, and I'd like to get him back on it again at some point. Yay. Um, it's kind of down to us to kind of wave the the headscape flag or bang the drum, mixing my metaphors or whatever, uh, yeah, banging the flag. That sounds bad, doesn't it? Um, Banging the flag. <laughs> waving the headscape flag. It's down to us to do that more now that you're going to be kind of doing that on your own uh, much more. So me continuing on the on the podcast is something that obviously I'm very keen to do. I think we ought to briefly explain to people hmm. what, we're do- what I'm doing and what you're doing. So people, if they want to spend money with us, which why wouldn't they? Mm-hmm. Um, that they know where to go. Yeah. So... Here's the summarised version. So I'm going to be mainly focusing on... Well, there's there's kind of four areas I'm going to be focusing on. I'm going to be doing my speaking and my writing still. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to do um, training stuff. So if you've got a, um, an organisation or a company and you want me to get me in to do some training on various issues, then um, you can do that. Um, I'm also going to be doing some... Um, mentorship so if you've got a web design agency and you want a little bit of help and advice somebody that you can especially if not if you're just a web design agency actually if you're any kind of founder or um a digital lead or something like that when you're on your own um and you need a little bit of support then you can um get in touch with me and i can help with that the the area that may cause a slight bit of confusion because none of that that i've said so far is really a headscapey thing Nope. The the area that um, we maybe um, needs a bit of clarification is consultancy, because um, Headscape will continue to do its design and development stuff. I'm not going to do design and development stuff, um, so that's Headscape for that kind of thing. Um, when you hit consultancy, um, it kind of depends on what type of consultancy that you want. If you want, you know, that kind of in depth research, lots of stakeholder interviews, analytics reviews, that kind of stuff then that's very much a headscape thing. If you're looking for um, someone to come in and spend a day doing some workshops with you or write your site review or that kind of more lightweight thing, then that's probably more my kind of area. We will overlap a little bit. And to be frank, it doesn't really matter that much who you go to because if we work out we need the other person, we can sort out the difference and we can get them involved. So I'm hoping that I will be hiring Headscape and Headscape will be hiring me. Yeah, I mean, that's that's how I was going to kind of um, t- sort of tag on to the end of that and say that, you know, if you... 
I'm trying to think of a good example. You've recently worked with um, St. Andrews University um, on... I'll tell you a really good example. Sorry to interrupt you, because right. uh, uh, St. Andrews is in a really uh, particularly good one, because that's been mainly me. The one that's a good one is the University of Hull, because on that particular project... Chris was doing, you know, a lot of work with them, mm-hmm. um, you know, doing stakeholder interviews and, um, uh, you know, analytics reviews and, and writing strategy documents and all this kind of stuff. And although I will do some strategy documents, no doubt, generally speaking, mm-hmm. that was kind of headscape part of it. And then I came in and I did, you know, some workshops and I did some big presentations and that kind of thing. Yeah. So that's a kind of how the model, I think, will probably work in most cases. Yeah, I wanted to use St. Andrews as an example oh. of a kind of one, as a one-off. Okay. As a kind of like, if you were ideal for them yes. to just go up and kind of like uh, bang a few heads together and kind of get them looking in, in the right direction, that kind of thing. That's not, if we had a project like that, we'd want to hire you to do that right. piece of work. Yeah. Um, but I guess if what you're looking for is something that's kind of more you know across the board if you want to, right we've got this new project we need to start from from a and end up at z yeah um then if if part of that was stuff that you don't do but part of it is stuff that you do do um we still want to work with you on that uh, very much so we you know if there's a if there is um a piece of that project that is something that you know you would have done in the past then we're going to just go bring you up say hi paul we've got this project yeah uh, can you come in and help us? Um, so from that point of view, I still think that people will be able to hire Headscape in the way they have been hiring Headscape. It's just that it will be kind of a subcontracted kind of thing. And I think there's also it's a degree where this is an opportunity has been an opportunity for you guys to to reimagine Headscape a little bit as well which is good you know i mean although you will continue to deliver what you've um delivered in the past you've also you know it's kind of opening up the new kinds of design and development work that you can do so you know if you before you've kind of um you know gone oh well perhaps headscape isn't the right fit for us it's worth keeping an eye out on um the headscape blog that we're going to be launching soon and just what Marcus is tweeting and stuff like that, because I know that they've got some great plans in store for the new kind of, you know, design and development work that they're going to be taking on. And yeah, I th- definitely. It does feel a little bit like kind of new beginnings. I have to say. Yeah, it does. Um, and, you know, we've, we've been doing this for so long. Um, a, a little bit of an injection of something new, I think, um, is a good thing. Um, it's quite scary, as you said, and it's scary from everyone's point of view. Um, but I think, you know, Chris and I wouldn't be wouldn't be carrying on if we didn't think we could, um, you know, keep it going in a good way. So, oh yeah, it's, it would be, it's exciting as well as scary at the same time. It would be insanity for you, you know, you to stop at this point. And it, it was really interesting because when we originally set up, that's what we said we would do, wouldn't it? If one of mm. us stopped, we said we would all stop. But you know, now it comes to it, it would be silly. Yes, and you know, there's a lot of people that work for Headscape who are great, and you know, we just want to we want to carry on doing that. But um, at the same time, it does feel a bit kind of new beginnings. So, but it's yeah. it's really important that you keep carrying on. <laughs> Do you want to know <laughs> why? Go on then. So that so that when I horribly screw up <laughs> and I've got no work, I can come grovelling back to you and ask if I could have a job as a junior designer. <laughs> <laughs> um i really don't think you will paul but obviously i'll be i'll enjoy that day if it i mean i'll um listen carefully if if um if that day comes. to be honest i don't think i could get a job as a junior designer 
no one would employ you. No. I'm, Not because you couldn't do the job, but just because they think, no, I can't cope with working with Paul because oh, he'd take over. I wouldn't. <laughs> yes, you would. I'd be a broken man by that point, don't forget. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm very, I'm, I'm excited for you as well. I'll be, I'm very interested to see where life takes you because I mean, one of the reasons that you're keen to kind of make the separation was that you can have, you can kind of manage your own time. Oh yeah. Um, which obviously, if you're part of a team. part of a company, you're, you know, you head up a company and you have demands on your time all of the time. You know, can you do this? Can we do that? Um, if you're your own boss, you can go. Well, I don't fancy that today, or I'm going to go away for three months and work elsewhere which obviously wasn't something you could do easily yeah i actually think you struck up an interesting point we haven't said why i'm doing this yes why are you doing it's not because i'm fed up with marcus um because i mean that's obviously the case but that happened several years ago and i've managed to struggle on so it's not it's not anything to do with our relationship with hsk it's simply to be honest the main part of it is that james you know we started homeschool our son james um Mm. and that's kind of given us a load of flexibility in life and now it was just really my responsibilities at headscape that were were holding us back a little bit so it's a lifestyle choice really that's all it comes down to and headscape was always supposed to be a lifestyle business for us and Mm -hmm. will continue to be so for you um but in my particular situation changed and i thought yeah let's do something a bit different so have you got any plans on that front are you going to go anywhere oh yeah we've already started planning we're actually thinking uh, really sensible set up a new business and then buy a new motorhome <laughs> because we because and then we will we'll just go you know we'll we'll basically become travelers right and we'll sponge off the state um and various other things we'll you know we'll let our dogs run loose in people's gardens and sell them heather and this isn't going to mean anything to anybody that doesn't know all of the stereotypes of... No, I'm noting the time where I have to edit. No, 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 it's okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about stereotypes. I'm not <laughs> suggesting that people are really like that. You can't in this area because we have loads of travellers around here. In fact, in Blamford, um, the church that we have here is one of the big places that they bury their um, dead. All right. And so they have huge funerals that are really very cool funerals they know how to do a good funeral but anyway that's all beside the point so yes i'm gonna go you were gonna do a bit of traveling and stuff like that which would be cool mm-hmm. um but i don't know really i don't know whether i'm you know i'm gonna be able to feed my family in a fortnight so you know one one thing at a time eh yeah that's <laughs> so if you're talking to feeding my family please check out <laughs> check out um boagworks.com um, which basically just takes you to the Boag World site, but it gives you a, a new section of the Boag World site, which has got all of my information about what I'll be doing and how I'll be doing it. So link in the show notes to that. Right, quite enough. Yes, let's talk, move on. Let's talk about what we're going to be talking about, if that makes sense. Actually, before we get onto that, before we get onto our interview that we're going to do it in just a minute, I do want to quickly mention um, uh, Template Monster that are sponsoring this week's transcription again. This is going to be a change that you notice with the Boag World Podcast because Paul no longer has any money um, and isn't being funded by Headscape. Paul is going... I've started talking in third person. I don't know why I'm doing this. Um, I'm going to have to introduce some advertising into the show. But we're, we're going we're gonna to do it very discreetly. You won't even notice it's happening. It's fine. But we're getting Template Monster to sponsor the transcriptions because they're, they're really important and I want to keep doing them, but they're quite expensive. 
Um, and tem- uh, Template Monster uh, agreed to help out with that, which is wonderful. They've got over 46,000 designs on their site. It's quite an incredible site. Uh, Template Monster has been around since 2002, Marcus. That's as long as Headscape. Wow. I didn't know that. I know. <laughs> um, and they've got so much stuff on their sites, 46,000 designs. But it's not just websites either. They've got Facebook um, page designs. They've got newsletter, email newsletter designs. They've got Flash stuff. They've got PowerPoint templates, all kinds of stuff. So go check them out at templatemonster.com. I'll say more about them next week because they're sponsoring Transcription again next week because they're just awesome. But let's move on to our interview for the day. We're talking uh, to Christina Halverson, who's, yeah, you're a little bit of a fanboy, aren't you? I am. And you were gutted yes. that you missed this interview, weren't you? Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, I had some important, you know, headscape business. Important to, headscape to, business. To deal with, I can't even remember what it was. Um, no, I, I can actually, I had to do it. I had to do a presentation, so ha, that's the way it goes. Um, I saw Christina Halverson speak at um, South by Southwest in 2010, I think, and it was kind of like, Oh, this sounds important, <laughs> and kind of, and also stuff that I'd been thinking at the time. In my, I didn't describe it in the way that she described it eloquently, but it was kind of stuff that I thought this is important. People, because I can just remember at the time I was, I kept going on about people, re, people aren't dealing with content. It's just being kind of like slapped on at the end, or or even worse than that, people sort of didn't even realise that it was something they had to kind of. Um, worry about and and you know kind of we were guilty a- agencies were guilty of that as well it's kind of like oh just this yeah fill up fill up fill up the this great thing we've just built with kind of words um, and she kind of opened my eyes to the importance of content and content strategy and put my kind of some thoughts I had um, you know in, into sensible words that pe- other people could understand so yeah that was good but I missed the interview so hey hey but you did read her book which is very unusual content strategy for the web. Indeed. By Christina Harrison and Melissa, um, is it Ratch? Rach? Ratch? I don't know. Anyway. Well, her original book was just her. Which was oh, was it really? Yeah, maybe, maybe the updated version has got more. I'm pulling it off the shelf, yes. Content Strategy for the Web by Christina Halverson. There you go. So, yes, that, that's um, been an incredibly good, useful and inspiring book. If you haven't read it, I'll put a link in the show notes. It's worth getting. This is the second edition now, so it's 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 more relevant than than when Marcus read it in 1943, 2010. I'm looking at the date on the front cover. That's incredible. So, yeah, uh, five years ago. So 2010 in my head is not five years. ago. I know. Oh, just don't even start me on that. <laughs> so we got we got Christina on the show. She's um, it's a great interview. She talks about content strategy and why content strategy is so important. So here is Christina. <laughs> Hello. Good morning. How are oh, you? Afternoon. 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 Because yeah. <laughs> obviously we're the centre of the universe and everything revolves around our time. That's that's what I hear. That's well, what I hear. Greenwich Mean Time. See exactly. Exactly. Where it all zeroes out. <laughs> Good to talk to you, Christina. You too. It feels very funny that we've never spoken before. I know it's peculiar, isn't it? It I'm not, is. I'm not quite sure why that's the case. We've never been at a conference together. We've never... Is it that you don't get out much? Or have you been <laughs> avoiding me? What's yeah. going on? That's my problem. That's my problem. I just... I don't get out enough. That's right. <laughs> okay. Well, um, yeah. It's... It, it, basically, thank you very much for doing this. Oh, absolutely. To the, it's, the, my, it's my pleasure. 
the plan with the the um the season is that we're we're looking at um areas where we at headscape or we as in marcus and myself are particularly weak um and we're trying to well basically we're using the podcast as an excuse to get a load of free consultancy from people that's fantastic um, so that, that, that's the plan of today. So I pick your <laughs> brains, learn a load of stuff, and then look cleverer later. <laughs> I need to pick up on that. It's a good tactic. Indeed. So, um, do you know what? I was gonna, I, I, I was gonna do a proper introduction to this podcast, but we started on such a high that I think, and I'm recording this anyway, I think of I'm just gonna keep are. going. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So should we count this as part of the interview? Absolutely. That's fine. The one side note I will uh, let you know is that I uh, don't have, I don't know what happened to my Skype call recorder. So I am not able to record on this end. Is that okay? That's no problem at all. I will just make sure I don't screw this up like I did the last interview. I <laughs> where I completely. I'm sure. You know, I think it's all, uh, it's all in the in the uh, casual casual conversation anyway. So exactly. People don't want a formal interview. We, they we, really don't. It sounds far too boring. Marcus sends his apologies. He's not with us today. Oh, that's too bad. Well, no problem. Well, he he's got some excuse about um uh he's got a, a British telecom guy fixing his telephone line. Uh huh. But you know, I think I think he was just a bit starstruck. Oh. <laughs> Seriously, he's got a, he's got a little, bit, a, little, a little bit of a fanboy thing going on with you. <laughs> he saw you speak years ago somewhere. I can't even remember where it was. And then came back and bought um, your book um, and, and started raving about you. Well, isn't that lovely? Well, it is as that long as back, there's an that was ocean. back in the day before I was jaded. Uh, jaded yeah. and bitter. Oh, I know that feeling. <laughs> it's nice to have Marcus as a fanboy as long as there's an ocean between you and him. Otherwise, it gets a bit disturbing. A little stalker, little stalker. Yeah, he's got a little bit of that about him. Yeah. So, thank you so much for coming on the show. It is, it is absolutely brilliant and much appreciated. We're supposed to be talking about content strategy stuff because right. as, as I explained, I, I basically, um, want you to prop up my failing business. Okay. Dang it. So, all right, all is right. That, is that all right with you? Because we, we've talked about working together for a long time, and it's never actually happened, has it? No, it hasn't. And, you know, I talk quite a bit with, with a few uh, superstars like you in the UK, <laughs> and it just never seems to come to fruition. It's that's it's a big ocean between us. It is, it is. One day it's going to happen. So tell us, you you run um, uh, a content strategy agency called Brain Traffic. Is that, that I do? Is that a good way of describing you? Yes, although we prefer consultancy. Ooh, see, we I avoid know. the word consultancy because I always think consultancy sounds like you're paying money for nothing. Oh, <laughs> well, our clients don't think so. Okay, so. I wonder if that's an American UK thing. Hmm. No, I don't think so. I think uh, that uh, typically when I think of the word agency, I think about, uh, well, at least the folks I tend to run into uh, via my clients, they're people that are making stuff 
right? They're yeah. selling stuff. Yeah. And I find that my clients have enough stuff and they don't know what to do with it. And so that's where we tend to come in and, and assist with the I purpose, like with the purpose piece. Yeah. See, that makes a lot of sense because you're, you're completely right. Most, most people I encounter have got far too much content. They don't need more of it. They need no, less they of it. Don't. Indeed, <laughs> they do. So, I mean, see, this is a really interesting area for us because, you know, we, we position ourselves as a, um, user experience agency. So mm-hmm. we, we help our clients create user experience and that, I, and I use the word experience rather than interface intentionally because we spend as much time, um, kind of working on, you know, kind of governance stuff and organizational stuff and that kind of thing as we do user interfaces. Now, obviously, a big part of that is um, managing message and and the, um, not just the message, but how content's put online, how it's managed, what's removed, what's added, all of that kind of stuff. Now, but we're not, I wouldn't say we're content strategists, if that makes sense. It's all very woolly, isn't it? Where does the line, where, where does what you do start and what we do stop? Yeah, no, that's an outstanding question. And more and more, I'm not sure I could tell you. Yeah. Uh, I think that, you know, there are a couple of big problems that we tend to run into when we walk through the door. People will call us and they'll say, we have too much content or... We have a million websites and they're not connected or we're producing content in silos and it's all very inconsistent or redundant. And, you know, the, usually when we walk in, the very first thing we end up talking about, of course, is process mm. and and governance, which is also a, a sticky word, which we can talk about in just a minute. Mm-hmm. But uh, more and more, the pieces that that are that we see missing are client or customer research. That's just a really big one where we have companies really operating on assumptions Uh or on data points that uh, are like, you know, number of clicks or time spent on the website, um, sort of antiquated metrics, which is, which is difficult because there's so much data available. But again, there's really nothing that replaces just talking to customers or potential customers or ex customers. Yeah. And a lot of times organizations are like, oh, yeah, well, we haven't, we did that in 2012 or 2011, right? Yeah. And so while we don't offer uh, customer research services, oftentimes we're able to find where those services are supposed to sit within an organization and then we put put the screws to them. Uh, but, and, and so really though, our primary areas of service, I kind of have them broken down at this point. We offer content strategy for websites, which, you know, frankly, I think uh, is more likely to, we approach it more as, as content planning and not just what should go where, but yeah. also to your point, messaging and structure, uh, even sort of looking at, at a, at a very high level at any rate, kind of the, the CMS or the lack thereof that's, yeah. that's managing the content. Um, uh, and then, and then the other piece, you know, that we enter into very quickly is sort of what we're calling right now content strategy for the enterprise, which again, I don't know if that's the appropriate thing to call it because oftentimes what it ends up being is getting, getting 
ensuring that the the vision for how this content is going to live and be shared throughout the enterprise and and uh, in the digital space, that vision is often either inarticulate or sort of um, or unknown to the team members. And then we get that down into strategy, which is okay. Well, we can't get to we can't realize the vision in the next six to nine months. So, what piece of it are we going to tackle in order to move us forward? And that's really where we sort of begin to talk about content strategy. Are you going to focus on your technical infrastructure? Are you going to focus on content quality? Are you going to focus on uh, getting websites all, you know, in, in a row or at least working together? Um, and then obviously, how is this going to have an impact on team structure? Who, mm-hmm. from a governance standpoint, gets to make decisions about what is going to happen and what's not going to happen? Um, and, you know, again, that, that sort of bleeds more towards change management. Yeah. I think, but, and, and that's, that's sort of an area where we're, we're just sort of kind of feeling our way through. But as you know, so much of any process and getting people to make a decision is simply getting them aligned. And that is where a lot of the the workshops and the ongoing interviews and conversations and documentation that we do, that's all what that's sort of geared toward. But ultimately, we want them to make smart decisions about their content, and that can manifest in a lot of different ways. Hmm. It feels like people are coming at, at these problems from lots of different angles, doesn't it? They it's, sure are. Oh, you know, yeah. You've got the kind of um, um, marketing people coming at it from that kind of angle. You've got your business strategists, you've got your content people, your UX people, all coming and essentially confronting the same problem, which is that from a digital perspective, organizations are, a lot of organizations are just digitally incompatible. You know, that, that they've, they've got processes and ways of working from a pre-digital world that, that no longer adapts to the way that consumers think and operate these days. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think that, you know, interestingly, when we talk about customer centricity, which is one of those buzzwords, but mm-hmm. I, I think it's very uh, relevant, we often are pointing to companies like Amazon or mm. like Netflix or Zappos, but these were all companies that were born online, right? And so they were built in the digital, in, in the realities of, of digital and of yeah. the internet. And a lot of, especially large companies are still, you know, they can't manage their websites, yeah. the very basic building block of a digital presence. And so, you know, kind of coming to terms with the fact that that this is going to take much larger change than just expanding or adding headcount to your digital services. Yeah. That's a really, really difficult, difficult thing for organizations to come to terms with. The other piece that I see is, and this is very difficult, companies who have sort of, you know, big, big teams with skill sets that just aren't they're not the right skill set. Yeah. So, you know, organizations are like, well, what do we do? Do we just lay all these people off? And obviously their first first thing that they want to do is try to uh, get these people into different roles and train them how to be, uh, you know, digitally savvy. And that's a really long process that is not going to be fixed by a couple of workshops. And I mean, the other problem as well, even within kind of digital teams, you go into an organization that's got a web team and because that web team was originally born out of IT services, you know, 50, 60, 70% of the team are techies. When actually 50, 60, 70% of the team should be content people. 
Yeah, like, agreed. And the content people oftentimes what we find are still sitting in creative services. Yeah. And that's really difficult too because <clears throat> these are folks that don't necessarily have firsthand experience with usability or with what it means to, to create a user experience. And they oftentimes don't have direct access to customer research that is really going to help them start seeing things from the inside out versus talking from the outside. Uh, wait. Yeah, I know right? what you mean. I, yeah, I know okay. what you're getting at. Step. Right. Yeah. It's always, I always have the same problem with the, the, um, the phrase being a, a small fish in a big pond and a big fish in a small, I always get that the wrong way around as well. Okay, good. Thank you. One of those things. You're not alone. Hey, talking about people <laughs> coming at the problem from lots of different angles. And one of the things that struck me recently is how SEO people are beginning to move onto your turf. Have you noticed this? Oh, sure. But I don't, you know, I think I always refer to, to Erin Kassane's book, The Elements of Content Strategy, where she talks about content strategy as a very big tent. Yes. And, and SEO is definitely a part of it. And, and so I think that what, at least what's difficult here is that now we have this new tent called content marketing, right? And, mm-hmm. and SEO folks, well, what we've seen is that SEO folks and social media uh, uh, and and digital marketers are, have all sort of jumped on this train. Oh, yes, it's about the content. It's about content marketing. But, of course, oftentimes the way that message is interpreted is we need more content if we're going to stay relevant. And, you know, this is something that SEO folks were preaching 10 years ago. Well, yeah. you've got to have more content that's regularly updated. But what we're seeing more and more and actually something that I have very quietly started advocating for is that search engine optimization really does come down to, uh, you know, ensuring that the content that is on the page is well-structured, relevant, um, and, and, and complete, right? Mm-hmm. And so even, you know, however, however large of a role metadata plays these days, it's still important that it's clean because the mm-hmm. meta description is what shows up in the search results mm-hmm. and that's going to determine whether or not people click on it. And that, that requires a, a thoughtful approach to planning. And, and what I've started to advocate for is, well, why don't we start thinking about search engine optimization since that has a direct impact on the substance of the quality uh, and the quality of the of the content itself why don't we start thinking about SEO and search engine marketing as sort of two different areas of expertise because I find that they're really lumped in together yeah. and that that can really have an impact on on the end on the end product when we talk about content quality I mean I find actually sometimes talking about things like SEO can be quite a good way to get a, a client to focus on on the user and on the questions that users have because that determines, you know, the, the questions that people have are what they type into search engines. So, you know, it does actually, there is a huge SEO benefit of being user-centric to writing in a way that users can associate with, you know, the answers directly the questions they have rather than just pushing a marketing agenda or whatever. So, Yep, yep. And I think, you know, Lou Rosenfeld wrote that great book, Site Search Analytics, where he was basically like, look, the things that people are actually searching on your site are really your biggest, <laughs> that's a gold mine that a mm-hmm. lot of companies don't don't really think about because they're so focused on getting on page one or two of, of Google results. Yeah, absolutely. You talked about um, 
the 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 uh, the fact that people are producing probably more content than they need to. One of the things that you advocated um, in your book, and I, I'm interested to see whether you're still taking this approach, is this this kind of site audit approach. Because what's become relevant just from chatting to you now is that you seem to be dealing with some fairly hefty organisations these days. You know, and certainly some of the clients we work with, they've got they've got hundreds of thousands of pages of content. So kind of going through that and auditing it is almost impractical. So I'm kind of interested in in how you approach things these days. Yeah, well, there's really two reasons that we that will do an audit. Uh, we have never audited, nor would I recommend trying to audit a site with hundreds of thousands of pages. Yeah. It's it, to your point, it's impractical, and I don't really know what the end purpose would be. You yeah. know, okay, we've got five hundred thousand pages, and four hundred thousand of them nobody's touched in the last three years. Great, we kind of already knew that. Yeah. Uh, really, there there are two reasons that we'll audit content. The first of which is if clients just simply have no idea where anything sits or they're concerned about a bunch of orphan pages or, you know, it's clear that the metadata is in poor shape or they need to build some kind of a business case to really show, Mm. you know, look, these experts came in and they ranked 80% of our content totally not readable. (laughs) And, and I think that, uh, I think that most pages we've audited were, were 5,000 help pages for a large, um, technical uh, services organization. And that's something that we ended up doing manually simply because they really needed to understand the quality of this, mm. of this support content. Uh, but you know, the first thing we'll do these days is, is run um, an outside spidering tool to qu- sort of get that quantitative data mm. spit back at us. And the one that we prefer is, is called content analysis tool. Um, developed by Paula Land and Content Insights. It really gives lovely, lovely data that then, you know, we can tweak and work. And if that's all we want to present to clients saying, you know, look at, look at how poorly structured this is, or you had, you know, 5% four or four pages, that's something that's very helpful. But uh, when we are dealing with any sort of qualitative information, um, that is something we usually can't get to more than those 5,000 pages. And that, that itself is a really hefty project. Yeah. Uh, but those are sort of, those are sort of, you know, what do you have? Where does it sit? And uh, what, you know, how can we assess quality and then prioritize where and how to get started on improving it? Absolutely. I mean, so when you get, then into you see you talked about governance earlier we took we touched on that briefly and you said at one point that that's a sticky word um and governance i always find is a hugely problematic area to get into because it starts affecting organizational change and and who reports into who and power struggles and all of that kind of thing so i'm, I'm quite interested in how you go about approaching that side of of the content strategy work you do you know, governance, I, I feel is a, is a process because to your point, everybody wants ownership, right? Mm-hmm. And the minute you start talking about governance, people are like, well, you can't tell me what to do with my content because I know my content best and I know my yeah. audience. And where do you get off telling me I need to change messaging or voice and tone or the amount of content or whatever? And, and really the way that we try to talk about governance is that, look, 
yes, there's got to be a top-down quality to it, but it's a lot less about necessarily oversight and a lot more about the decision-making process and who gets to make those calls. Lisa Welchman has a book coming out on governments, which which I've been waiting for for about mm, 10 years, that really talks about how to introduce it into an organization, what the structure of of a council or decision-making uh, framework looks like. Uh, and, you know, yeah, there's going to be an element of it where people get to say no, but somebody's got to say no because the fact that we don't know who's making those calls is what gets us into these messes of content in the first place. Mm. I think there can be some advantages as well to being on the outside in conversations like that. You know, being an agency, you can go in and say and do things that, uh, you know, that the internal client could never get away with. So you can kind of make suggestions about governance and ask the stupid questions because you know no better. So I would think that gives you a bit of an advantage. But perhaps that's just the technique that I do. You know, complete ignorance and stupidity seems to work for me. <laughs> exactly. Do you find that in all areas of your life, I Paul? do, actually, yeah. It's, it's a reoccurring theme that seems to come up quite a lot. Uh, yeah, I find that the most powerful thing, and I, I talk about this a lot in, in the talks that I give, are not even necessarily coming to the table with recommendations. I mean, obviously, that's the end product. But a lot of times, it's just in the questions that you ask. Yeah. I always know if somebody stops and says, you know, that's a really great great question that I've really hit on something, right? Because yeah. they, they've never considered it or they don't have an answer to it. Uh, and, and that is usually I will come back to the table with recommendations. And a lot of it is like, here are a bunch of gaps in knowledge that I mm-hmm. found. And it's difficult for me to make recommendations about where to prioritize content initiatives if we can't prioritize answers to these questions first yeah basic things like you know who are your target audience what prioritize you know priority have they got what are your business objectives you know it amazes me that large complex you know well-established organizations can't answer some of these basic questions it's quite scary really isn't it interesting to me is that leadership often thinks they have the answers to those questions and yeah. that it's everybody else's fault that they don't know. And, you know, every article you read on leadership is, it is your responsibility to, yeah. you know, create articulate, informed stories that you can then share with teams, you know, everything from your direct reports down, you know, all the way to the front lines. I hate saying up and down, but you know what I mean? Uh, You know, and make sure that everybody knows what they're working towards and how they're contributing. And ultimately, if there isn't a sound business strategy right up at at the top of leadership, you know, you've got some, you've got some significant challenges. Mm, Absolutely. Okay. I mean, what the one moment I love when when you sit down with clients and you start chatting with them is that the the moment where they go and close the door, you know. The, <laughs> yeah, for sure. The the moment where they want to tell you something, um, and I always find that a, a, a very encouraging moment because then you get get into the kind of personality elements, which I think is a big aspect of of managing, you know, uh, um, you know, content or structure or how digital is approached or any of these kinds of things. Do you get involved in that kind of thing or do you try and stay clear of it? Oh, no, you have to get involved in that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, uh, there are several folks in the content strategy community that write about and talk about empathy mm. and not just for our clients, but for the teams that we're working with because, 
you know, there are very few people that wake up in the morning and think, how can I go into work and do a crap job today? Yeah. Right? Like people, people want to contribute. They want to feel good about their work. And, you know, interestingly, a lot of what we see is just taking the time to get to know the culture and the different personalities, uh, involved. And, you know, we have our business model is such that I have a couple of full-time content strategists. Uh, but that I also will contract with a lot of different folks throughout the country. And part of that is, is that the cultural stuff that we tackle and the, and the company cultures that we work within oftentimes require certain kinds of personalities. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, some clients need a, a really strong, uh, leadership almost who's going to be able to, someone who's going to be able to really sort of push them through a process. Other clients want to kind of take their time and, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's more important to them that they relax and get to know the folks that we're working with, that they're working with and that those people become more of a, a real, uh, part of the front lines or an equal part of the team. Uh, you know, and some companies are from the Midwest, some are East Coast, some are West Coast, and those are all very different cultural fits. And so I find that that works very well when it comes to personalities. Uh, it is massively important and probably explains why Marcus and Chris don't let me talk to some of our clients. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, same here, right? Yeah, there are some people that I just, I just rub up the wrong way and I know I do. You know, and so uh, while other clients really warm to my style and my way of working, etc. Hey, yeah. you, you mentioned a little bit about your staff and, uh, you know, uh, t- tell me about, uh, I mean, how big are you guys? How many of you are there? And, and what kind of makeup do you have as a team? You know, because I, I you know, I know with my kind of agency, uh, you know, a more traditional web design agency, you have designers and you developers and your project managers, etc. I wouldn't have a clue what made up a team such as yours. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I'll start by saying uh, a couple of years ago, I was really focused on growth, right? As, mm-hmm. as many agencies are. I, I really saw us as 40 people. Oh, I wow. had kind of an idea of, of the makeup of that team. I knew I was going to need people to help me lead the organization. Mm-hmm. And essentially we kind of, we sort of got a little hot headed and grew very, very quickly. Uh-huh. Uh, and it, and it was broken. It didn't work for right. a million different reasons, you know, not the least of which is that I'm, I'm an inexperienced business owner uh-huh. and, uh, you know, was, didn't know what I was doing or really how to lead. And the other thing I kind of realized is that I just don't like managing people very much. And it's not that, it's not that I don't love people. It's just that I, I just want everybody to come in and do their work and, and crack each other up. And so, you know, financially we hit a, we hit a big wall and I dug myself into a really deep poll and uh, ended up having to let go of about 75% of my staff. I oh, wrote a, wow. I wrote an article about that for the pastry box um, about how sort of having really good intentions doesn't always mean that, you know, an agency is going to run real well. And uh-huh. so we're, we were down to six people and now we're at nine and that seems to be a good size. Yeah. Three of my folks are, are focused almost exclusively on, uh, uh, producing our, our confab content strategy conferences. We're yeah. actually doing four this year and, uh, we work with, with, um, I actually just, I had a full-time producer in-house and he just went off on his own to start his own production company, which is really exciting. And I think that we're also going to be working now with an outside production company. So that's sort of the confab side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for my content strategist team, I have, 
one full-time content strategist. I have one full-time senior copywriter and then I contract the rest of it. And it it works really beautifully. Uh, I, because of the amount of time I've spent in the content strategy community since about 2009, I really know well some of the kind of the top players in the, in the industry. And so I'm able to bring them in on projects and it's worked really well for, for us and for our clients. Again, having that, that flexibility of skill sets and areas of focus and personalities has, has really been great. And then I have a business manager. I just couldn't live without. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> no, that, that, uh, thank you so much for sharing that. It's really lovely to hear. Cause we went through a, a, a not dissimilar experience that we grew, you there's a, almost a pressure, isn't there, to grow your business? That if you're not, oh, there absolutely is. You know, and we we got up to twenty one people, something like that, and it honestly stopped being fun. You know, I felt yes, exactly. I hated going into the office. Yeah. It's not that I didn't love every single person there. Exactly. But it, you spend all of your time doing management stuff and, and dealing with personnel issues. Not bad personnel issues, but just stuff that needs dealing well, with. some of them are bad. Well, yeah, okay. <laughs> some of them are, yes, okay. Um, I, I, but then, you know, I, I suddenly realized one day, I can't remember the last time I sat down and did some work with a client. And it, it just, it stopped being fun. So we just naturally shrunk back down. We we were very fortunate we didn't have to let anybody go, and I've got so much sympathy with you over that because I've been down that road, and it's a horrible, horrible experience. Oh, um, and I did it so badly. Oh, oh did you? Ever. I did it so oh. poorly. Well, again, I was yeah. inexperienced and scared and guilty. and Oh, I know those feelings. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, so we got away without doing that and shrunk back down to 13 of us now. Um, just by, you know, not replacing people when they, when they moved on. And it's so much nicer. It's so much nicer. And it, I guess it depends what kind of business you're trying to rent, win, um, not win, uh, run. But, yep. you know, for us, ultimately, it's a, it's a lifestyle business. It's about enjoying what we do and, and having fun with our clients and providing good service and all those kinds of things. So, yeah, it, it, it's it's encouraging to see other people have gone through a similar similar feeling with it all. So that's good. Oh, I yeah, you know, and whether or not an agency is really focused on growth, I don't know a single business owner who hasn't gone through times of expansion and times yeah. of contraction. And that was the that was one of the most helpful things is being in crisis and just being confident that it was all going to fall apart and yeah. that you know, it was going to be embarrassing and humiliating and oh. painful and expensive. And hearing every single agency owner I spoke with say, oh, you'll be fine. Yeah. You'll be fine. You know, and we are. We're not just fine. We're great. And I'm great. And so it, uh, that it's also been really helpful for me to be able to provide that same kind of, of support and, and the insights that I can share now having been through it with other agency owners. Uh, it, and to be open about it as well. I think so often we, we kind of hide our dirty laundry, don't we? You know? If, oh, for sure. And that was, you know, writing that post for the pastry box was not difficult for me. It's, you know, everybody goes through this and, yeah. and it would be helpful to know that everybody goes through this. Yeah. And, oh, the response that I got to that and the number of people who read it was, you know, the emails that I got, uh, was really, really something else. And so, especially with the, you know, and I think too, 
part of it is that we we worry that our clients are going to see us as mm-hmm. on the rocks or in real trouble. And I found that just being open with them and saying, we didn't work as a large agency and now I'm going to be contracting with people and and here's why and, you know, we're going to provide really great service to you. And the majority of our clients stuck with us. Yeah, I think people people are willing to give you a second chance. I remember when we set up Headscape, we, I mean, this is now going off on, on complete tangents, but when we, before Headscape, we worked, um, we ran an agency that had been born out of the dot-com bust. Yep. Um, and um, we, you know, we got to a point where the, the, the debts of the dot-com company pulled down our agency. And so the whole thing fell apart and we, um, uh, but we went to all of our clients and we said, well, bad news is it's all falling apart. Good news is that we're going to go on with, you know, anyway, and we're going to set up and do our own thing. And all of them, you know, except one turned around and said, well, prove that you can do the work and that's fine. Yep. So, you know, I think clients are a lot more forgiving than perhaps you give them credit for. And you always, you always imagine the worst case scenario in all these situations, don't you? And they, it very rarely happens. <laughs> Oh, my worst case scenario happened. <laughs> oh, what was that? Oh, I suppose the, laying, laying people off is pretty bad. Well, isn't it? and you know, f- friendships were lost uh, and I dug myself into a really deep financial hole. And again, right. you know, the money's, the money part has worked out and everything's great and healthy again, but there are, there are friendships that I'll never recover. Um, yeah, which is really very painful and, understanding i think that when you go into something like this it is business and you are taking Mm. a risk uh is really important you know the other thing that i'll say is as a as a content strategy pure play agency i mean nobody has really done this before nobody had done it before and so we were really making things up and especially you know 2010 11 12 People knew they had content problems but they would call and they'd be like okay so you say you can fix my problems like what am I going to get at the end of this? What will I be able to hold yeah. in my hands and say, here's what I paid for? And, and it took us a long time to really be able to articulate it and to, and to understand, you know, here are the people that we need to be working with internally and here are the outcomes and, uh, and here's the business case and the business values. So I feel really strongly that after, you know, five years of going around a bit in circles, we've, really proven our our methodologies and our approach and our the value that we're able to bring to the table with clients and so that's been a that's been a a really great process and it's still continuing right i mean we're doing work that nobody's done in these large companies before and uh some of it you kind of have to make up as you go oh absolutely i think yeah i think there's still a huge quantity of that in all aspects of digital really of us making it up as we go because i mean we do a lot of work with digital transformation projects you know of of restructuring the company so that they they are better uh, um uh, meeting the needs of connected consumers and and one of the questions we always get asked is well who's done this you know, point me to an example that, that's done this well. Oh yeah, the magical land of best practices. Yeah, and it, we have to turn around and say, well, there's a lot of people doing it, but nobody's done it. Nobody's finished. This is a journey where we're all kind of finding our way as we go along. And it's, well, yeah, that, and that's another message I bring to just about every talk is that none of us are caught up. You know, no. we're all, we're perpetually catching up and kind of accepting that. And embracing that principle and those values are going to help us move more quickly and with more confidence. Yeah. 
Uh, one of the things I'm I'm interested in is whether you have got over that initial problem that that was around for a long time of of clients not wanting to invest in content it, it, in the, in the sense that they're happy to produce it but to get in somebody else to fix their content you know they'll pay hundreds of thousands for an enterprise level content management system but they won't pay for someone to come in and and provide a framework for producing and managing quality content. Is there still a little bit of that sense around or has that gone away now? Well, the good thing is that people who are ready to invest in, in it are the ones who call us. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so that is, <laughs> that is, well, nevertheless, I mean, we had that problem for a really long time. Right. You know, we started out as a web writing agency where we were providing writing services for large scale web projects. Mm. And when we started to go into companies and say, you know, you're having us write all this content and we're delivering it and you're refreshing it or your new website's going up and in six months it's all going to suck again and we mm-hmm. would really like to assist you with some strategic initiatives to make sure that doesn't happen. And in a lot of companies, they say, oh, no, we just need web writing services, right? Yeah. It's clean now. We'll take care of the rest. And and uh, sure enough, within six months, it would it would be awful again. And so... It took, again, it was right around that 10, 11, 12 period where companies were coming to us to get things fixed, but, but ultimately it ended up being a real focus on the content itself and not necessarily the process and the decision making framework mm-hmm. or the principles or, you know, being able to really clearly state what your strategic initiative or priorities are going to be, uh, that, that would hold them back. And so now we're very, very clear about saying, you know, look, we can assist you with cleaning up this website. We can, a lot of times we're called in for rescue mission projects mm-hmm. where, and that's always difficult because they've blown $3 million on, mm-hmm. you know, the CMS and the design, the fancy design and all that. And they're like, okay, we have a couple hundred left over for the content. Well, mm-hmm. the message that they get sometimes too late is, why are you doing all of these things? Why are you building this brilliant, intelligent engine when the fuel, which is the content, <laughs> is bad. And so, and, and so, uh, uh, yeah, that is, that is something that we're really able to introduce and be kind of firm about. And, and it, it, we've seen real, real progress with the, with the clients that we're working with. And more than that, they keep asking us for, for more work and for deeper work and with other parts of the organization. So that's been very gratifying. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we still, we still have problems, um, getting clients, if I'm honest, getting clients to invest in putting together a proper content strategy. I guess partly because we're, we're not known for it. And perhaps it's that we don't know how to sell it right. But I mean, look at the examples of where we've come to you guys before. It's, oh, we've got this, you know, project that we think, you know, this, this could be the one. This could be the one. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then it never quite happens. And it, I find it so frustrating. I mean, yeah, they'll pay for us to do a, training workshop on writing for the web or they'll you know they'll get us to advise them on their selection of content management system but but to go beyond that to really kind of dig into this properly we find a painful a painful process that we really struggle with what are we what are we doing wrong in the way we sell it well, I suppose that's an impossible question <laughs> for you to answer well I, I think that not necessarily I mean I mean you know, a lot of people will call 
And, and I'm, I'm doing two, uh, sessions this week, two working sessions where I'm going on site with a client for a day. Mm-hmm. And they're bringing, you know, different folks from, from across the organization, all of whom have a vested interest in content quality, uh, who cannot get aligned on, on where to spend the money next or, right. you know, where content should sit or, uh, you know, I, I have a client who has done extraordinary work preparing their content for, for, uh, multi-platform, multi-channel delivery, but they, they don't know what to say. They don't know mm-hmm. what to do next. Uh, and you know, the other client I'm going in to speak with, they know there's a challenge. Their, their content plays, uh, it should be, you know, playing the same role no matter where it sits, but, but no one is really aligned on what it should be doing ultimately. And so getting the players all in a room and helping them not only, uh, really what we do is we have everybody list out all their priorities and then we have people think about, okay, well, what, you know, in order to move this forward, what are the kinds of questions we need to have answered? And then we really get in and dig in and look at where the gaps are and where the assumptions are mm-hmm. around content. And that's where people say, wow, you know, we, we have some real work to do around what our customers want or what the purpose of this digital property is or, you know, Wow, we, we want to get ready for cross-platform delivery, but we, our CMS doesn't handle it. What mm-hmm. should we do there? So a lot of times in the, in the sales process, again, it's about asking the right kinds of questions so that people can be, you know, that we can kind of get to, okay, well, here, here is really your next step. And I, I can't count the number of times people come to me with, you know, one set of problems they think need fixing. And after a conversation or two, yeah. we will put together a proposal that doesn't tackle any of those yeah. issues because they have some foundational things that need to be fixed first. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, it, yeah, it's like you said very early on in this, you know, it's about asking those questions that nobody can answer. The ones that they say, oh, yeah, that's a really good question. And yeah, you're essentially highlighting problems because a lot of times I think clients come to you with symptoms rather than the underlying Ex- issue. Exactly. Mm. And I, I talk about that and I teach that in my, in my content strategy workshop, you know, but I'll also say, I think that getting to those questions and asking those right questions, you can't do it without a lot of experience. And that is, that is a, a difficult thing. And I think that's when companies bring in third parties. We know that there are things that are wrong. We know that we have a lot of competing agendas. You know, where are the gaps? And I, I ask much better questions now than I did even mm-hmm. two years ago when yeah. I, when I really got very closely involved with client work again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is why things like traditional procurement processes, I'm writing a blog post on this at the moment, so it's my pet subject, um, it, where traditional procurement processes drive me nuts where you don't get to speak to the client, where there's this invitation to tender sent out and, and you're supposed to respond to that even though they're probably looking at entirely the wrong issues and there's none of that initial kind of consultancy sales overlap that happens. Yeah, we don't participate in those. No. If I can't talk to the client personally, I won't fill out the RFP. What's yeah. it? Because to your point, what's the point? You know, you're mm-hmm. signing off on a bunch of services that may be at the end of the day unnecessary or the wrong kinds of services. Yeah, drives me nuts. Anyway, Christina, thank you so much. I could just keep going forever, but we, we're kind of, I set limits on how long I talk because otherwise <laughs> it goes on all day. It was so good to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And we need to meet up at some point. 
At Me- some point, I'm confident we will. Well, you you do um, you do as you said already. You do a load of events, and some of those happen in the UK, don't they? So I'll have to come along. Yeah, you know, I haven't spoken in the UK. Well, that's not true. I guess we brought uh, our Confab Content Strategy Conference there last year in 2013. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would love to love to come back. So t- tell us a little bit um, about where people can find you and about your conferences and about your books and all the other stuff. Yeah, great. Uh, well, our consultancy is at braintraffic.com. It's our, our renowned one-page website with a contact form. Yay. And that's I'm trying to walk the walk there. <laughs> uh, uh, also, you can go to Confab Events, and that's C-O-N-F-A-B. Uh, we are producing four events this year. They're all going to be in the United States. So sadly, we won't be returning mm. to Europe this year. I know. Sorry. <laughs> uh, and then you can actually go to contentstrategy.com to learn more about our book. So basically, you've got around the one-page website problem by having three websites. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Such a cheat. Oh, I'm caught. <laughs> Okay, thank you for on that on that bombshell. <laughs> thank you very much for coming on the show, and uh, hopefully we'll get you back at some point in the future. It's my pleasure. It's an honor. Thank you, Paul. Okay, so you wanted to apologise, Marcus. Yes, I wanted to apologise for Paul's inability to record uh, what? properly. Um... What? Why, hang on, why am I getting the blame for this suddenly? <laughs> because I wasn't part of the interview. Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, I tried to get the um, the audio as best we could on that. wasn't great, and also last week wasn't great either. Apologies, apologies, apologies. Um, I'm going to make the excuse that recording over Skype is tricky because it is, um, but they get better. So stick with us on the audio quality side of things. Oh dear, Marcus. Yes. And now you're going to have to apologise again because you're going to tell a joke and it'll be bad. Oh no, jokes, jokes. Ah, you haven't thought about that, have you? You're all right. You've got a second. I'll leave you to to get the joke a minute because I've got some really exciting news, Marcus. (laughs) Do you remember in last week's show we joked about sponsoring your podcast? Do you remember that? Sponsoring, yes. No, sponsoring your joke. Sponsoring the joke, yeah. (laughs) Someone has come forward and agreed to sponsor your joke. Uh, People out there in the world. That's Rachel. Do you remember Rachel from last week's show? Rachel Andrew, I know, sensible people, although admittedly their product, which is Perch, does have a yellow bird, a little cute, cutesy bird. So they're not entirely sensible as their logo. Fair enough. So, yeah, Rachel said, yeah, go on then. We'll, we'll sponsor Marcus's joke for a couple of weeks. <laughs> okay. I just think this is awesome. I feel that this is a new beginning, but I do want to make something very clear. This podcast is the property of Boag Works. <laughs> You do not get the payment for your joke. <laughs> just to make that clear. I'd love to know what, how much we're talking. I hope it's just hundreds, a pound. Hundreds and hundreds of pounds. I don't believe you. They were so generous. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Money was part. They said, if it keeps Marcus's joke going, we're happy to throw money at you. All right, you have to buy me beer then next time you see me. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> All right. Well, bearing that in mind, I, I've got... I've got good jokes by good actual comedians. I'll do more than one. Right. Do you want? Should, do we do? Do you want to talk about Perch a bit first, or talk do about we want Perch to talk? You... Okay. Because you don't. I, I don't. Well, do it was know last Perch. week's show. We talked a lot about Perch. Yeah, but we didn't talk about really what it did. Okay. So Perch is a content management system. 
that is used by design agencies and individual freelancers, right? So it's a kind of a, a, an easy way for them to deliver content management. Um, and you think, what? Yeah, that's what the world needs, another content management system. But Perch is actually a really good alternative to something like WordPress. Most of us use WordPress, don't we, for smaller sites. Yeah. And, and actually, WordPress is not the best thing for delivering these kind of smaller content management systems. And I've got to say, I, I honestly think that this is something Headscape should be looking at because it is so much um, better than something like WordPress. So I'll give you three reasons why. First of all, it has no themes, right? So when you build something for WordPress, basically what you inevitably end up doing is you, you, create, you get a basic theme, you strip out all the crap you don't want from it mm. and then kind of build up your own bespoke version. And it, it's like, it's a pain in the ass and you're, you're kind of messing around with other people's code. Code gets injected into what you do and it's all a bit messy. But with Perch, basically what you do is drop in edit- editable regions into the page, into the, the, the HTML and CSS you have written. You're not fighting against somebody else's HTML and CSS. You just drop in these editable regions and then away you go. Um, and you can add then content directly via the content management system directly to the page. So it's a much, much simpler way of working. Mm. Um, and it, it basically allows you to take any existing static site and turn it into a content managed one, which is incredible, really. Second thing it does is um, that the perch control panel is based around pages. It's not a blog thing. So, you know, with... Um, you know, if you're trying to add pages in something like WordPress or something like that, really, that was kind of retrofitted into WordPress afterwards. And it's really, it's a blogging piece of software, not a content management software. So Perch is very page orientated and that makes things a lot simpler for the client, mm-hmm. you know. And then a lot of the time you'll find you don't have to give as much training. You know, you're answering fewer questions from clients once the CMS has been launched. And then the last thing that I really like about Perch is that it's design. It just Drew and Rachel are obsessed with performance. And so it's been built up to be really fast. I'm talking about incredibly fast. It doesn't fall over. You don't lose visitors. You don't get some crappy plugin that screws it all up. Or, you know, you don't have to worry about installing some plugin that helps cache it. It's, it's just fast. It's got a great... Um, set of add-ons you can use it's got a great community uh, behind it and um, it's lightning fast but also there's a great upgrade path um, to perch runway which i'm sure we'll talk about more on a future show so there you go that's perch Um, you can check it out at grabaperch.com and if you can go to grabaperch.com forward slash boag world then you will tell them yes it's worth sponsoring marcus's joke (laughs) yes we appreciate the fact that you have supported what is the most important part of the boag world podcast and with that over drum roll please to marcus's amazing joke that's going to be better than ever because it's now sponsored yeah this is the one true constant to this show (laughs) okay i've got three i just took a drink then and nearly went up my nose (laughs) I've got three jokes. The first two are from the wonderful Tim Vine, as last week's one was. Uh, obviously, I've got a list of his jokes here. Um, I've decided to sell my Hoover. Well, it was just collecting dust. That's terrible. <laughs> oh, a more a more appropriate one for a web design show. Conjunctivitis.com. That's a site for sore eyes. <laughs> that one I quite like. <laughs> <laughs> and the finally, and finally, on this sponsored joke 
Uh, this is Jimmy Carr from Jimmy Carr. Oh, well, are we allowed to make money off of somebody else's <laughs> a professional comedian's well, joke? Well, I'd probably not. It's, it's your delivery that matters. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. It's not going to be good like they are. <laughs> Anyway, I saw I saw that show, 50 Things to Do Before You Die. I would have thought the obvious one was Shout for Help. <laughs> huh. That's a good one, see? I like that see, one. There you go. There you go, brilliant. Now, you're going to put the laugh track behind that now to oh, make it sound even funnier. i silly laughing stuff, haven't I? Yeah. Well, you don't have to. I might do. I just, it just shows commitment. You know, now, now, now Rachel and Drew are investing money. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm not seeing any of. No. <laughs> But think about me. Think about yes, my son. Think about you, Paul. He'll starve if you don't. If you don't, you know, do better. So if you want to, <laughs> I can't even say this seriously. <laughs> if you wish to advertise, <laughs> if you wish to um, promote and sponsor Marcus's joke, then please email me at paul at boagworld dot com, and I would be glad to take your money. <laughs> There's not really an awful lot I can add to that, so I'm not is- going to. Shall we finish this yes, week's show? Let's. Good to talk to you guys all about. Oh, you want to know what's on next week's show? You always ask me. What's on next week's show, Paul? I don't know. Okay. Hang on. Let me have a look. What season are we? 11. <laughs> One day I'll be prepared for this part. Next week, we've got John Hicks. Ah. Awesome. So that means we're going to be talking about iconography and um, logo design and all that kind of cool stuff. So, really good interview. Really enjoyed recording that. John's always incredibly fun to talk to so that's next week join me then bye bye